Like you, I'm sure, I get a lot of email. And I spend a lot of time unsubscribing from things that I never signed up for. It's rare that I ask for things to be sent to my inbox. But one news source for this field of new learning that I actually did sign up for was New Learning Times. It's a publication from Columbia University's Teachers College and is one of the rare instances when I end up enjoying, even recommending, a thing I signed up for online. This episode is a little different than others. While we usually go deep into topics over the course of the show, I recently went looking for a partner who'd get excited about joining me as a guest for the occasional episode where our focus would be on going wide rather than deep. There's so much news out there at this crossroads of education, learning, and our digital lives that I could produce 10 shows that cover our interests and never get it all. So I needed someone who consumes a lot of news from the field and is working to distill what's most interesting from a bajillion categories of interest. Here's Brian. I'm Brian Sweeting from newlearningtimes.com. As they describe it, the New Learning Times provides daily coverage of the transformation of learning opportunities in the information age for those shaping the future of education. That's you. NLT is produced at the Ed Lab at Teachers College, Columbia University. This is in no way a commercial for New Learning Times. It's a collaboration. One way for me to bring you fresh voices with an eye on things that might interest you or even inform your practice. I encourage you to get in touch. Let me know if you like the format, if you have new ideas for me or topics you'd like me to cover. If you don't mind crush that subscribe button wherever you spotted the show and offer a rating. It helps a great deal. Let's get on with it. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Brian, thanks for joining uh, the show. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me today. This is a super fun episode because um, usually... With any given episode, I'm going deep into a topic where we have subject matter experts or folks come on who all have shared an experience. Or um, And here we're actually covering a ton of ground. This is a slightly new format for the No Such Thing podcast, and I'm, I'm really excited about it because it's something of a collaboration between No Such Thing and a publication that... Uh, I pay a lot of attention to uh, New Learning Times, and what we thought would be fun is um, for us to have a conversation about some of the big stories that New Learning Times has been covering and um, and cover a lot of ground. And, and so for the listener who doesn't get enough time to do, uh, you know, a, a deep dive on um, what all the stories in education and at the intersection of education and technology are, uh, we're going to give sort of a, uh, a, a best of, right? We're like, um, yeah. Uh, it's like a mixtape. We're going to make a little mixtape for, for, for our listeners and, uh, and they can go and dig more into the topics at, at, uh, new learning times. So before we get started with, uh, the stories that have been on your mind, um, tell us a little bit about new learning times. Sure. Uh, thank you. That was, a, that was a great description. Uh, New Learning Times is an online publication published out of the library at Teachers College at Columbia University. And we're operating in this little uh, research and design unit called EdLab. 
which is looking at new learning opportunities, things like self-directed learning, what is the impact of technology on learning. Um, and we are a publishing team that works on some uh, traditional academic journals. Uh, and we also have this very mobile-friendly, uh, like short, digestible publication um, that is like exactly what you said. We're looking at a lot of different topics and uh, just hoping to get people informed like on the go. So if you're a researcher, maybe you don't have time to read every uh, study, but we are summarizing, digesting uh, some research on new technology and its impact on learning. So you can just kind of like grab it on the go quickly. And yeah, we cover uh, a lot of topics in learning. So I'm glad we get to talk about uh, a few of them today. Me too. One of the things that I founded this show to do um, was to help narrow the gap between uh, research and practice. That was one of the, the kind of uh, goals going in. And one of the reasons I think I, I really enjoy New Learning Times is because you guys are after a very similar thing where um, you're doing the kind of longer form research uh, written research work, um, but uh, New Learning Times is more about um, making sure that all of that good knowledge kind of uh, hits hits the ground, you know, where it can be as useful as possible. So I love that about what you guys are up to. It's great because uh, a lot of the writers on our team are students at Teachers College. Uh, so these are topics that they are studying, researching, talking about um, on the daily anyway. So uh, it's it's great to leverage their subject matter expertise for a publication. What do you know about uh, the reader? Our reader, I guess our readership, um, our target audiences, they're, they're kind of different. They're not quite always overlapping. Um, we're hoping that some of the material is helpful for all parents, teachers, uh, researchers, students, entrepreneurs, and then people generally like interested in the tech space in New York. So the average reader tends to be like located in uh, on one of the coasts, usually like New York or California. Uh, we have a lot of teachers, college students who are readers. Um, and then we've developed this good ecosystem of people who have been guests of the EdLab, uh, who have been seminar speakers or who have collaborated with us on design events. And so it's a lot of people who we've worked with previously, um, who uh, we've also interviewed and who are sharing our stories with their networks. Well, let's dig into um, to some of these stories because we have a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover. So. Um, where I thought it would be fun to start, you and I talked a lot about one of these uh, areas that's kind of forever trending in our space is uh, augmented and virtual reality experiences. And and um, what do you think uh, with respect to AR and VR and everything that you're uh, looking at and covering, um, you know, do you feel like the 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 revolution, you know, is here yet? Or, or do you, uh, do you feel like it's still somewhere, uh, just over the horizon? Probably more the latter. I think like the frame of our publication and like, incidentally, also my own thinking is that we're kind of like being cautiously optimistic about implementing technology or even a little cynical sometimes. So I, I think there's, 
I don't, with any new technology, there's always a lot of excitement around the potential for it. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely seen that around AR and VR. But it is developing so quickly that, you know, like maybe two or three years ago when we looked at where VR was, uh, the tech was there, but there wasn't a lot of content that was useful for educational purposes that hadn't really been developed yet. Uh, and just within the past year, we've seen a lot of new apps and platforms uh, that have been developed for VR and AR that are more substantive, that align a little bit more closely with pedagogy, that do a good job of storytelling. So uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic now that like mm-hmm. it's not quite there, but we're getting closer to it being a really useful tool. So here's the... the um... The headline of a recent story uh, is walking a mile in another person's shoes actually works. Yes. So uh, tell me about this story. <laughs> what, sh- what should we know? So this is a summary of a study that came out of Stanford um, examining whether or not virtual reality could be used to uh, measure a user's uh, impact on empathy. Um, And I think this is something that we're all kind of interested in, um, just like as human beings, trying to be empathetic, relatable uh, people surviving in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially in, I think about this a lot, but like living in New York City, you're just constantly surrounded by uh, people who are living like very different lifestyles than you and have very different experiences. So even something like, riding on the subway in the morning is like an exercise in empathy. I mm. think sometimes like adjusting where you are in space and, and negotiating those boundaries and, you know, trying to be uh, a polite, <laughs> appropriate person yeah. requires a lot of empathy. So um, it's, it's interesting to, uh, to kind of like see this studied and uh, the, okay. So the structure of the study is uh they divided university students into uh, three different groups. And two of these groups participated in a virtual reality game where they embodied the avatar of like a character named James or a character named Steve. Hmm. Uh, And though they were both fictional, they were led to believe that they were actual students at their university. Right. Uh, And so those two groups, and then there was a control group, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. But uh, both of these groups... Um, participated in like a virtual reality lab experience uh, where they experienced uh, life like through the lens of the avatar. So looking at the mirror uh, in the morning, giving like a presentation at class, working out at the gym, uh, you know, like life through the eyes of this fictional character uh, whom they believed was a real student. Yeah. Uh, And then there was a third control group that... uh, just experienced like the VR uh, setting, but not through the life of an avatar. So after the groups were done, then they played a, a behavioral game on a computer with a remote partner, but they were led to believe that that partner was uh, either uh, James or Steve, uh, one of the characters. Uh, and the outcome of the game depended on their perception of the partner. Uh, so they had to play some games with money where they're uh, distributing like $10 uh, and deciding how much they give to their partner uh, the whole time, believing that like, this is real currency that they're going to get at the end of the game, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, But so the results of the study um, showed that the students uh, had greater empathy for their partner when that uh, partner identity matched the avatar through which they had the VR experience. 
Um, and also for students who felt really immersed in the VR, mm -hmm. they showed much greater empathy to, um, to their partner. Uh, this is compared to the control group uh, who, had, um, who had not participated. Uh, it's a good example of how you know, VR would increase your empathy for someone just having even spent a little bit of time uh, thinking about their lived experiences every day. So that is fascinating. So, um, but I want to, I want to understand the, the way they did it. Um, so there were these two characters, they chose one, right? So presumably, um, my, my kid plays a lot of Super Smash Brothers, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. in Super Smash Brothers, obviously, like, the first part of the experience is picking the avatar that you're going to um, battle with. Yeah. So in this case, they're picking from these two avatars, but being told that, that they are also students at the school they go to. Uh, yeah, so I would need to go back into the study and check uh, that aspect of it because I believe that they were assigned uh, an avatar. I, d I don't know that got they got which one it was. Got yeah, it. but then, but then, what what um, played out over the course of the study was that um, them having a relationship to this avatar that played out over the course of the game then um, impacted the way they made choices about these people as real people exactly yeah that's that's pretty intense yeah and and very <laughs> cool to think about um like when you think about one of the things that's you really have to read about a lot of these studies before you start to realize um how they play out in the context of our day-to-day -day. but i think if you um, so when you look at the study itself, I think it's easy for people to be like, yeah, but that's such a contrived, you know, con sort of controlled study. Yeah. Um, but when I think about it in the context of games that I or, or my kids are playing, um, then it gets really exciting because you're thinking about, uh, you know, how these things might actually start to transform some of the technologies that uh, they're in front of every day. Sure. Yeah. So. Uh so super exciting. What, what do you think the, um, the broader questions, uh, you know, that, that excite you that you've also been seeing that new learning times has been covering, uh, how does this connect to the, the sort of broader questions that are out there about, uh, AR and VR and learning right now? Yeah, I think, uh, so it's exciting to hear about an application an application in research like that. I think, you know, then when we look at uh, virtual reality and augmented reality apps to actually do product reviews, uh, well, that's exciting too. Like, there's always this question of accessibility. And I don't, it's just, it's hard to imagine exactly like how you would use these types of VR experiences outside of a study. Like, are is this something you could replicate in a classroom, which mm -hmm. is kind of hard to do because at least with VR, you just have one headset per user. And is everybody else watching? Um, I mean, even to have that, like the resources for one of those in a classroom, you know, is a privilege. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure who the audience for, uh, for VR is yet. It, it, it seems like it's a pretty small audience. Like those who are able to afford it and then also willing to engage with it. 
Um, so that, I, I don't know. I don't have a, a very clear answer for that. So I think like accessibility kind of looms as a big, as a big question around VR. Got it. So in, in the spirit of um, building this playlist as we go, um, what's, your, what's your prediction on this article? Um, do you think that this topic, the way that Stanford's looking at it, is, is it a one-hit wonder? We're not going to hear about it again. Is it something we'll hear more from? Is this like a, a band that lasts? Or, uh, you know, what do you think? Is it, is it gonna, are we going to hear more about this and and does it help us connect to practical things or, uh, to be determined? I think, I think it's a band that lasts. I think there's a lot of applications for this in, um, in VR and learning. Um, we're just right now we're reviewing, uh, an application that, uh, puts the, it's a VR app that puts the user, um, in the experience of someone who's homeless and gives them the perspective of the types of decisions that they have to make on a day-to-day mm. basis, uh, which is really interesting to how that could be used to change your perspectives on, I, I'm sure everyone has, um, you know, like some opinions on, on homelessness and the political implications. Uh, but then, you know, it's different to be sitting on a bus with a bag of your belongings and then there's a sketchy looking character uh on the other side of the bus and then you need to decide like do you fall asleep because you're exhausted or do you guard your bag because it has things uh in it that you need Mm. Um, and and i think just just by going through that vr experience that's already like fostered some really good conversations in our group about uh about homelessness uh so i think um I, I can just imagine applying uh, VR, like empathy building experiences to so many situations in life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of, of practical, well, a lot of potential uses for it. I don't know exactly how they, uh, how they would be practically applied. Right, right. Yeah. Well, this, this story is um, pretty related in in one thematic area to the next story that we're going to cover right is um so the headline is wobot the therapist you can trust yes so Uh, tell me about wobot okay uh let's see wobot is this uh free ai chatbot um that was developed for ios and android systems um it is similar to other uh, therapy bots out there uh, used to treat symptoms of depression and anxiety using mm. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it, it's supposed to be accessible 24-7. Um, and obviously, you know, it's a, it's a phone app, so it's with you wherever you go. Um, I think that the, that the intention is not necessarily to um, replace a therapist, but mm-hmm. maybe to be like a, a supplement or to be accessible for people who, you know, may not be able to afford or for whatever reason are not seeing a therapist, but would like to. Um, so this, yeah, this is an interesting example of, uh, of a use case for, for AI kind of like categorized under the, um, like social emotional learning tools, um, and mental health uh, tools that we've reviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a crazy, um, 
It's a crazy thing to think about. Like the first question that I I wonder about is if I'm in, if I'm having a, a sort of, if I'm having a depressive episode or uh, I'm, I'm uh, in a moment of panic, like, do I reach for a, a thing that I know is a bot mm-hmm. um, as a, a tool in my kit or, or because I know it's AI, do I... Um, you know, do I kind of look past it because it's because uh, I don't trust that technology can actually do what uh, even even that it's not replacing a therapist, but that it can uh, offer some of the solutions that a therapist could. Um, can you picture yourself reaching for this thing? Uh, I I have thought about it um, because I think we all have those moments where we would like to talk to someone about something and we're not quite sure where to go Mm -hmm. um i haven't used it yet and i think i don't know i'm not sure why i haven't actually maybe it's like my reluctance to um to engage in ai and believe that i'm going to get um you know like some helpful feedback there yeah Uh, but it so it has it has some like different features um to kind of keep people engaged once they've started. So it has like check-ins and it'll try to do like follow-up discussions and it has links to videos. So I think that, I think there's some other stuff there that's helpful too, even if mm-hmm. the user isn't necessarily comfortable, um, you know, pouring out everything to, uh, to an AI chatbot. But I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Like, uh, it, would you, would you trust an AI more because it's not a human or would you be doubtful enough about its capabilities that you don't even engage? So there's probably mm. like 10 studies in that right there. Right. You know what, what we need to talk about um, next time I have you on is uh, I, from what I understand, I haven't, I haven't done my homework on this, but um, there are a couple of bots in Asia that uh, apparently are a huge hit and are, um, sort of being used as uh, this phenomenon of social support and uh, kind of anti-isolation mm-hmm. uh, mechanism. Have you heard about any of these? No, I am very ignorant about this. It's a big deal. So, so in 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 certain countries, this is happening, and I have the feeling that Wobot is going to be the tip of the iceberg um, in the U.S. because I can see uh, bots like this for all types of um, different sort of support structures, whether it's weight loss or um, you know uh, exercise regimen, or um, there's you know beyond depression and anxiety, there's all sorts of. Uh, you know, relationship support and all these kinds of things. So I, I kind of feel like uh, this is one we're going to see more of. Would you Would you agree? I think so, and I I, I kind of hope so in the sense that um, I'm if I'm learning something new, I very much appreciate um, everything I need to know being broken down into small steps, and then like approaching each one of those. Uh, one at a time so I don't feel overwhelmed and I know what to do next so the idea of like setting a goal like if if Fitbit, I, Fitbit probably has a feature like this mm-hmm. we're giving you you know like daily recommended fitness videos or things to do in order to reach your fitness goals like that's I, it's very appealing I would definitely I would same like Duolingo does this really well with um, language learning yep 
definitely yeah. definitely related and if i think that's a great analogy is if you think about you know the super simple step counter yeah um on your wrist and you know those little notifications you get about standing up and and uh and making sure that you're paying attention to your movement, um, I think then it, it's easy to start to think about, oh, okay, so um, that's been a useful uh, support to me in, in terms of my physical health. Yeah. Um, now translating that to mental health becomes a little bit easier. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah, I think one concern that we found in when we were reviewing robot and robot, which is uh, like something we've had a lot of discussions about in terms of where AI falls short and mm-hmm. how, you know, like at first glance, there might be a tendency to think that AI is neutral and like void of any biases, but it obviously, you know, just reflects the biases of the people who created the AI. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, um, the the AI chatbot gave the user um, a heterosexual analogy for something mm. and the user uh, corrected Wobot and said, actually, I'm gay. Uh, and Wobot just kept going without any acknowledgement. So she tried to qualify, I'm, I'm queer, I'm a lesbian. Um, and it just, it didn't pick up on that mm. at all. So for a tool that is being used um, to address mental health issues, um, and would likely be used by someone in the LGBTQ community um, to not even like have a word in its vocabulary to identify them is a, is a pretty big shortcoming that I think should be um, addressed. So that that was that was disappointing. That wasn't even you know a consideration in the in the user experience. That's fascinating. The uh, that's a great illustration of that tension between. Um, you know where where the where human interaction uh and you know mach- human machine interaction uh are still vastly uh there's a big gap there and um we have lots of work to do but uh but interesting one to follow for sure wobot yeah, and maybe this has been a while since we reviewed it, so maybe that's been updated. Um, I, I'm not sure, but I know that was the user's experience at the time. Yeah, let's yep. hope so. Uh, otherwise, um, maybe they'll hear this and yep. uh, and, and start working on the vocab. Yeah. Um, so uh, we talked, you and I talked uh, at one point about uh, you know working on a category of the stuff that we cover here um, that that's just from this sort of bucket of whimsy and interest like there there are um, so many stories that come up in this at this intersection that you know have something to do with how we learn uh, in the digital age but uh, but kind of belong to no other category yeah um, so learning to code one kitten gif at a time um this is one of my favorites um yes this was like such a fun review to to read uh i played around with this um app called erase all kittens but i didn't experience it as much as our writer uh melanie did uh who is very much a person who enjoys whimsy and uh really enjoyed using this app um I am going to have to direct you to the uh, review of this app in order to get all the details um, because there's a lot going on here. But basically, 
It's a, it's a coding app. It's teaching young people how to code in HTML, CMS, and JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think there's an appeal to especially uh, girls, and it's uh, based on, there's like a storyline um, that kind of moves you along through the app. Uh, and it's got a lot of like whimsical creatures in it. There's a unicorn merman, which I think, you know, should be represented in many more apps. Right. Uh, and so because I'm not as familiar with the actual gameplay, I don't know how to describe where the, uh, exploding or the, uh, erasing kittens aspect comes in. Right. Um, but just the fact that they're like, even the name is just really intriguing. Yeah. Uh, as like, as a way to pull you into like, uh, learning coding. Yeah, the concept is um, pretty fantastic and puts two phenomena together that, um, you know, who knows if will be, uh, you know, sticky over time. But kittens and the Internet are like uh, a match made on the Internet, I guess. But um, that's not going anywhere. But uh, whether or not this can somehow motivate learning about uh code and you know these these languages of uh html and css uh it remains to be seen my call would be that this is a one-hit wonder but what do you think um oh that's tough yeah it probably is a one-hit wonder but i i think based on the um number of like emails and ads i now get for like whimsical adjacent products really well include yeah like unicorn stuff and 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 mermaids like it definitely feels like we're having a cultural moment where people are appreciating fantasy um so i hope that there is more of a tendency to like include these imaginative elements into curriculum Mm -hmm. uh, and apps so it's just like i don't know there's something really exciting about like being delighted by something that's unusual yeah Uh, yeah at least for me i don't know i would love more unicorn vermin in everything (laughs) i think if i think i would use it if um if my woe bot was a a, a unicorn merman sure yeah make me feel a little it's a little (laughs) bit more connected (laughs) identify strongly yeah um that's great so so i I love what you said though coming back to um it, it for me it speaks to playfulness and i think um one of the things uh among the many things the internet doesn't do well um one of the things it does is bring together a spirit in people of playfulness and um and kind of the you know the the habit or pattern of riffing off of one another and that's where a lot of the playfulness of the internet comes from and i think that um it's a thing that too often in learning we kind of miss out on right is Mm -hmm. by the time we distill things down to what we historically know as our our textbook version of things um you know it's like we've we've so um sanitized the experience that a lot of times that playfulness is missing so i love what you said about that and and that's something i really hope we see more of um whether it's erasing kittens or not yeah i think it is challenging to do well though because i have seen a lot of uh tech startups and apps try to incorporate like fun cartoon characters but i think if it's not really thoughtful it you know it chances coming across as like 
inauthentic and then maybe you don't actually care about the story and it just seems stupid so like you've got to do it in a way that is like fun and nonsensical but also um is meaningful if that makes sense yeah i don't know no it does make sense um and and which again ends up being a nice segue into a category of fake news which there have been a lot of stories um, New Learning Times and elsewhere about uh, what's happening in fake news. I've done a couple of episodes related to the topic, and um, this is part of why I think, to your point, uh, we have to be intentional and uh, get good at how we uh, balance sort of whimsy and purpose. So, wow. um, because there is a lot out there that. Um, that is uh, troubling and comes from the wrong place. So um, headline was uh, combat fake news with daily news quizzes from Newsmeister. Um, what, what's Newsmeister about? Yeah, so this is uh, a daily news quiz. Um, they're like quick three-minute quizzes uh, on current affairs. Uh, and they're asking like really quick questions uh, based on what's on the news, uh, and then you just need to identify whether or not um, it is real or fake. And the, the I think they're pulling news from like actual sources, like um, you know some media outlets you you would normally like browse in your daily viewing. Um, and this this actually we reviewed over a year ago, so it, it was around that time we started seeing an increase um, in app to address uh media literacy in general i think Mm. it like it kind of took us a it took this area a little while to develop but now we've seen we've seen a few of them so that's encouraging that at least they're out there so that actually ends up being a good segue to this other topic we're talking about uh which is fake news right that was a category that comes up a lot in uh, New Learning Times reviews and coverage and, um, you know, it's kind of all over the place. I've been really disappointed uh, whenever I hear, in the, especially in the last year or two, um, I'll hear funders or educators, people uh, in, in all kinds of roles who sort of dismiss uh, media literacy right now and, and – uh, kind of with an attitude that it's passe or or has sort of like it is less relevant these days. I actually think that media literacy uh, is probably more relevant than it ever has been. Yes. Um, and and so uh, headline was learn how to spot fake news by creating it. Um, tell me about this app. Yeah. So this is an app that approaches like media literacy and fake news from a slightly different angle rather than having you like try to determine what's fake and what's real which i think is like also a very useful activity uh this app gets you to make your own fake news uh so it gives you like a a motivation that you start off with Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have like a financial goal like our reviewer she wanted to raise 200 dollars for some music equipment and so she needs to make enough uh fake news headlines and articles uh, to generate like some clickbait and ad revenue in order to like reach her financial goal. So uh, I got hope here, hopefully like these are not really being used as fake news articles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to get users thinking about uh, like what goes into creating a, a fake news article and headline um, and 
you know, the goal being if you are thinking about that, maybe you can kind of uh, think about people's motivations and maybe you can avoid uh, these types of like media traps in the future. Yeah. I actually, I find that really fascinating. Um, knowing more about the motivations, I think does get you a little bit closer to um, understanding why it exists. Um, so that is, that's an interesting one. I do love about it that it's constructive, you know, it's, it's about, um, learners, uh, building something as a way of learning, uh, why it exists and how it's made. Um, so I love that piece and, uh, I kind of wonder where we can, uh, you know, in, in some ways I feel like a game like this and they, they call it a game, um, in the app, uh, where it, uh, serves a purpose as, um, a product in and of itself and where on the other hand, it can just serve as a model for how we should or could be teaching some of these concepts, uh, on our own. So an educator yeah. in the classroom could absolutely, um, there are lots of free tools out there on the internet that let a student, uh, including just browser-based tools, right. Um, be able to manipulate what exists on a web page, um, and turn it into, you know, something else. And, uh, so you don't necessarily need, this game in order to learn how to do that. It's one, right. one interesting context, but, um, I love it as a model for things that, um, teachers or after-school educators could be doing in other contexts. So as sort of a model, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And the, uh, our author pointed out that after she had, um, created some fake news headlines through this app, she had like a really icky feeling like she had done something wrong. So like capturing that emotional response, I think is a good oh, learning. That's interesting. Like, this doesn't feel right. And hopefully it's not actually teaching, like hopefully no one's going to start their own fake news website after using this. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'd be tragic. So, so what do you, what do you think as a, as a category, are we going to see, um, more products like this? Is it a one hit wonder or, uh, you know, can we, can we expect to see it again? I kind of feel like, um, the top, you know, obviously I don't think fake news is going anywhere. Um, I, I, my hope would be that as a product category, um, it's probably more like a one hit wonder, but, uh, but I hope that it, triggers lots of good thinking by educators about uh, how they can teach this topic on their own without needing to sort of download something or go to a, you know, somebody else's URL. Yeah, I, I agree. It's obviously, it's not going anywhere, but uh, it will be interesting to see, like, this is such a creative approach to handling that issue. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, other approaches as well, because um, I think j just getting anyone into the habit of thinking critically about the news they receive like it's kind of an exhaustive task mm. because we're so bombarded uh by news every day it's you, you take shortcuts and you rely on the you know opinions and 
and hearsay of others. Uh, so I, I don't know, even for me, it's like, okay, this is, a, this is a good thing to keep in mind for sure. So true. So this has been a ton of fun and I can't wait to uh, continue to cover, you know, or, or come back to uh, some of these over time, I feel like we've we've put some categories together of stories that we're going to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. And uh, my hope is that I can uh, get you guys to to come back and join me uh, periodically to do a roundup like this, because I think it's a great way for people to, to sort of get out of um, their own little bubble a little bit and hear about what else is going on, uh, you know, out in the, uh, the sphere of news as it relates to education and technology. So thank you for doing this. This is super fun. Yeah, that would be great. We've got, I mean, we were publishing three times a day, so we've got a lot of content. We're like talking about a lot of different things. So yeah, there's some good conversations to be had. So let's help people find new learning times if they're not yet receiving it. Yes, it's uh, the URL is newlearningtimes.com. Uh, totally free. We just ask that you uh, sign up with an account to view it. Uh, we have a nice little newsletter we send out on Thursdays to remind you of some of our new content. Uh, but yeah, it's it's free and it's newlearningtimes.com. This has been a ton of fun. Yes. Brian, I so appreciate your time and your perspective. Um, I know not all of these stories are um, are bylines of yours, but I'm going to link to each of them in the show notes so that people uh, can check out the full stories we discussed uh, and many, many more. Um, and they can also check out other writing by folks who have, uh, who have conducted these reviews. And, and it sounds like a thoughtful process at New Learning Times. I'm curious just to hear um, how does story generation happen for you guys? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of it is done very autonomously. So uh, first of all, yeah, none of those bylines are mine. They're all written by um, our team, like very talented, wonderful people. I wrote nothing of it. I just read it and regurgitated. <laughs> uh, and yeah, people choose stories based on kind of their own interests and some of the um, discussions that we have in our own, like uh, in our own internal workshops and design meetings. Um, so yeah, people are very free to, uh, you know, kind of just if they're interested in social emotional learning tools, uh, as long as they're within the framework of the publication, we encourage people to you know, use this platform as a way to further their own learning as well. Well, I hope that people will enjoy it uh, as much as I do. This is not uh, full full disclosure. There's no, there's no. Uh, this is not a commercial. Um, wow. You know, and and I'm not. Uh, in, I have no incentive other than appreciating the work that you guys are doing and knowing that it's part of an institution at Teachers College that um, is really thoughtful about an issue that for me has been really important, which um, again is just really trying to bring the world of um, technology and learning, whether that's in the category of research or in the category of of ed tech and tools, but bringing it closer to practice and making sure that uh, we can do what we can through uh, media like yours and uh, like shows like mine. and narrowing that gap and making sure that these uh, these things are making their way to folks who can put them to good use. So, um, Brian, huge thanks again, and I hope we get to talk again really soon. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great fun. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.